This week's podcast brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, the leader in wetlands conservation going all the way back to 1937. Think about that. That's a lot of history of conserving waterfowl habitat and the uh, ducks and geese that we all are so passionate about. Uh, I'm a proud member and I also serve on the Dallas DU committee. Uh, I encourage you to get plugged in with your local Ducks Unlimited chapter uh, and, and join this great group of folks who are passionate about duck hunting and waterfowl conservation. For more info, head over to ducks.org. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists. Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. Howdy, howdy, everybody. Cable Smith welcoming each and every one of you into episode 679 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Great to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. A little jet lag today. Just got back from the dark continent. This is the annual Africa edition where I sit down with my good friend, my PH, second generation owner and operator of John X Safaris. Carl Van Sale will be here, and uh, we're going to recap the adventure that we just shared together over the past what was it, eight to ten days? Well, really the safari, we hunted for seven days. But uh, when you talk about travel, yeah, you can go ahead and make it 11 days. <laughs> and the travel is really, you talk about limiting factors for Africa. Why don't people go? People that can afford it, that want to go. I think the number one limiting factor is the travel. Uh, but as someone who's done it six times now, I wouldn't keep going back if it wasn't worth it. Uh, also, when you talk about South Africa, no diseases. You don't, I mean, there's like venereal diseases. Sure, of course, they're everywhere. But as far as like uh, yellow fever, or typhoid, or malaria, you don't have to take any of that stuff. No malaria pills, no yellow fever shots, none of it. You just get on the plane and you go. And while, you know, every African safari camp is different, John X runs a very family-friendly experience uh they were i've been there when there have been kids in grade school this time there was a, a family that had a, a high school aged boy i think he was in ninth grade and then uh, the daughter was in college and they each shot multiple animals i'm probably going to take henry with me in 2025 um i think he'll be able to handle a little bit bigger caliber then he'll be 12 so i think that is the goal for for 2025 and if you want to uh be a part of that trip, by the way. Let me pull that up. Let's scroll right over to 2025. It's crazy you have to plan things out that far, but 
Um, we will be back in, I want to say June, yep, June 11th through the 21st of 2025. So shoot me a note if, uh, if you are interested in that. So anyway, about today's conversation, you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat up old Stanley Thermos. Speaking of which, I'll be danged if I didn't leave my Black Rifle coffee thermos in, in Carl's Land Cruiser. I know that's where it is. I got home and was like, where is that dang thing? Yeah, so hopefully Carl can put that to good use. But uh, what did we hunt on this safari? The tiniest of blue dikers. We chased them through the jungle. Well, actually, the dogs chased them. And uh, and you take them with a shotgun. That was exciting as all get out. We're going to struggle for multiple days trying to get on a big kudu bull in the northern mountains. Uh, we will stay in the mountains and uh, hunt gray-winged partridge with a nice set of Irish setters. Some beautiful upland pointing and great dog work. We'll also talk zebras and uh, the interesting herd dynamic with uh, stallions and mares, something that I didn't know. Uh, and then, you know, would you hunt a zebra? Would you eat a zebra? <laughs> Lots of different opinions on what I think is one of the most beautiful animals that you'll find in Southern Africa. What else did we do? Oh, yeah. I took the bow this year, and we did so much other stuff that I didn't actually get to use it that much, but... We did chase Warthog with the bow. Maybe there's a happy ending. Maybe not. We also got into um, a goose and pigeon hunt. Like, literally, they had erected a legit duck blind over water, and we shot Egyptian geese and rock dove, which was awesome. Uh, and then we wrapped up the safari with something that we had not previously hunted, and I don't really know why, because... Once I put my hands on this thing, I realized what a cool species water buck are. So that's what's on the docket for today. Uh, if Africa's on your bucket list, or maybe you've read books about the Dark Continent, the mystique and allure of Africa is still alive and well. And if you're like me, maybe you felt that gravitational pull that uh, is tugging at that adventurous spirit inside of you. And one day... You're going to end up in Africa. And it's uh, it's not as expensive as you might think. If you want to hunt planes game, you can have one hell of a safari for what a lot of folks will pay for one elk tag in the lower 48. Um, so just keep that in mind. If you want more info like on an actual, or an actual price list, then just shoot me an email. Happy to answer any questions. Well, let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a Havilon Peranta. It's the same knife that I presented to my tracker, David on the last day of our safari. And you talk about a practical gift. I mean, these guys use skinning knives day in and day out. Uh, of course, it didn't hurt that I also had 30 extra blades, thanks to Havilon for sending those over, handed those to him as well. Uh, he was so appreciative. And so from South Texas to South Africa and everywhere in between, I, I don't think you're going to find a better skinning knife than the Peranta. So we'll give this one away today. Just email the word Africa, that's Africa, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And you are entered into today's Havilon giveaway. Coming up next, my longtime friend and PH, Carl Van Sale of John X Safaris, joins me on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Old Hank made it here.
Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it. And Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over a hundred years. They'll do the same for you. If you're ready to take that next step and make the dream of owning your own land reality, then head over to LoneStarAgCredit.com. Hey guys, Cable here for Armasite. If you're looking to light up the night, whether that's with thermal or night vision, then you need to head over to armorsite.com. That's where you can find all of the thermal and night vision monoculars, uh, thermal weapon sights, and, of course, night vision nods. Yeah, those cool-looking helmets, the one that I have. Yeah, buddy. You can find them over at armorsite.com. They've got it all right there. And even better than that, they've got some new stuff coming down the pike, like the 640 contractor. I've got the 320, 640, even better. You can find it all at armorsite.com. I will be drinking bourbon whiskey all night long with my friends. To all right, bourbon whiskey, the name of that one from William Beckman, bringing us back. On SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. And we definitely drank plenty of bourbon whiskey at the pub there at John X Safari's. That's one of the best parts of being on safari is uh, gathering around, whether it's a pub or a campfire or um, just a picnic table under an old tarp. Whatever the camp may look like is really insignificant when it comes to what occurs in those gathering places after the day's hunt. And it's the stories shared and memories made in those moments that you won't soon forget. So, and they don't really drink a lot of bourbon in South Africa, but if you tell Carl, that's what you want. Somehow maker's mark appears. (laughs) Uh, Also my favorite beer over there is uh, Hansa. They've got, uh, but they've got great beers too. And, uh, and they drink something called a, Russian spring water, which is essentially soda, uh, vodka, and lime juice. And that made me think, well, so that's basically just uh, ranch water, but sub tequila for the vodka. Uh, and you've got an improved beverage by Texas standards anyway. All right, let's talk some hunting. This segment of the show brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. Carl and myself are both proud members. Actually, uh, one of the guys, my friend Ryan who joined me on this safari. He just joined SCI uh, as he he gets it, you know? Like, who's doing more to promote big game conservation across the globe? Well, the answer is nobody. They are active in D.C., protecting our rights, our heritage as sportsmen and sportswomen. And uh, I think you can join for $75 a year. It's not a big investment, but it goes a long way. For more info, just head over to safariclub.org. Let's go ahead and take a listen to my conversation with my longtime friend, professional hunter, and South African native, Carl Van Sale. Carl, this is safari number six, and uh, everyone has been its own unique experience. This was no exception. Uh, right now, I'm feeling a little little wet. Yeah. I stink like a ruddy old water buck. <laughs> But uh, it's been a hell of a trip. Yeah, Cable, it's been another incredible week with you, so to say. Um, I think it's become a bit of a tradition for us, mm-hmm. but I think we've we've toiled harder than before. I think the, the longer we hunt together, 
the the less there is for us to pursue the new species and things like that and obviously we have to focus on our opportunities in a different way in which we did on trip one and trip two yeah um but yeah this time we obviously took on a variety of other styles of hunting you know we tried the bow we did a bit of bird hunting and obviously used the rifle so in combination it was something different that you and i've not done before yeah well and the first thing we took was a blue diker with a shotgun so that was uh that was such a unique experience because you have these little uh what kind of dogs were those uh they yeah they they're beagle cross so it's beagle. a beagle with some terriers uh-huh. and traditionally uh we're not awfully mad about beagles because uh they notoriously bad listeners you know mm-hmm. they don't listen mm-hmm. We, we, we had them one the, when I was a kid. Yeah, we call them the dogs without well, ears. We had. It got run over because it didn't listen. Exactly. <laughs> so, But the guys do like their noses. They do chase nicely, and they're not fast enough to actually catch the dikers. Mm-hmm. So, and like we set up in the forest uh, or just on the edge of the forest and basically start either the top or the bottom of a valley, and the dogs work their way through and then start chasing the dikers. And it gets very exciting once they get going and they're really starting to bark. And the closer they get, it more echoes and the more exciting it becomes that moment. And I enjoyed watching you with a shotgun. It was left, right, left, right, because the dog would bark there, then mm-hmm. another dog bark here. And you didn't quite know where it was coming. And I think that, that makes it very exciting and unique, most certainly. And you opted to hunt with the dogs versus the blind. And yeah. And that's obviously your love for dogs. Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, and then you, so you stay on the outside basically of the, I'm going to call it just thick jungle like vegetation. Yeah. And then we're kind of in agriculture, like pineapple Correct. Uh, fields. Yeah. Once it was all said and done, we actually went into the jungle and kind of learned a little bit about the habitat. Yeah. Uh, and then how unique these little antelope are. Explain what a, is it a midden? Yeah, it's a midden. So basically a midden is a lot of game, most certainly in Africa. I'm not sure about North America, but in Africa you'll have a territorial male actually scat every day on one dung pile. And he may have um, three or four of those piles that are the boundary of his uh, kind of his territory. Mm-hmm. But it lets other males know that, yeah, I'm boss and this is my reign. And basically any female in here is what I breed with and what I fight for. To, to have that right, so his genes can go forth. But um, blue dike in particular are very territorial, extremely aggressive with one another, and you will actually find from time to time when guys, uh, because they're so small, uh, when guys have, have turned them into pets mm-hmm. over the years where they've caught them in the forest when they're very small, you know, in the beginning they're as big as a rat. They fit in your hand. That's how small they are to give yeah. people an idea. Um, and they, they grow up, and even when they're big and they, and they call it, climatized humans and they acclimated you actually find that uh they, they will stab you with those little horns <laughs> yeah so as a as a young boy we used to have one and my dad got stabbed a number of times oh, by wow. a little blue darker in his scarf all over one inch little jab mark and in huh. and out quick quick before you knew it <laughs> yeah. yeah uh so we don't i don't think we have any species like that in texas none of our deer species scat in the same place now you talk about Things from India, like a nil guy or a yes. black buck antelope, they absolutely do that. Yeah, yeah. So, so interestingly, another f- uh, member of the tiny ten when you talk about middens is the steenbuck, which you and I obviously hunted a gigantic steenbuck mm-hmm. many years ago down on the Fish River here. And uh, that one, interestingly, if you watch him in the late afternoon or the early morning, he will cover his dung. Huh. He will actually cover it a bit like a cat. Really? Yeah. So very interesting. You often find and. 
it's not something that I've been able to film over the years, but I have found from time to time. And hopefully one of these years I'll find one for you and show you when we're walking around. But they literally, you can watch them from a distance. Hmm. And once they've done their business, they actually cover it. How curious. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So the Blue Diker is the smallest of the tiny tin here that we 100%. could hunt on the Eastern Cape. Yeah, 100%. Uh, How much would you say one weighs? A, a Blue Diker is going to be like your language uh like 10 12 pounds okay yeah your language yeah. 10 12 pounds and <clears throat> to give the view uh, you know the listener an idea we're talking about a jackrabbit mm-hmm. you know a big a large jackrabbit right and that moves very fast through the forest it obviously um its existence is speed and being able to be agile to escape the, the lynx the caracal which you and i've also hunted before yeah. that is the main predator that which preys on blue diker um and, 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 and the other thing about blue diker that's very interesting, Cable, that I showed you in the forest too, blue diker never eat a fresh leaf. Never. They wait for a leaf to drop on the forest floor, and that is the one they eat. So mm-hmm. in the morning, they go around, they follow the monkeys. Mm-hmm. And a blue diker notoriously loves sweet things, loves fruit. And so wherever you find the monkeys or the birds, you'll find blue dikers close by. So they have a symbiotic relationship in the sense that whoever is feeding on the canopy top their wastage drops to the bottom, and the blue dikers make use of that. So it's wonderful how that all works together. So if you didn't want to hunt a diker with dogs, explain the other sets, uh, yeah, setup. So Which my friend Glenn, this is how he shot his. 100%. So, so if you're not the dog guy and you want to be more selective in that sense, you consider the blind. So we have water in the forest, and we have blinds, and basically we put a bit of corn out but we don't actually put the corn out for the blue darker it doesn't eat the corn the monkeys eat the corn the monkeys bring the blue darker so whenever you sit in a blind the theory goes as follows get there in time before the monkeys when the monkeys arrive the blue darkers will be there soon <laughs> and nine times out of ten you can work on that the monkeys the dinner bell the blue darker is coming soon and then when the blue darker is in the vicinity of water he will come and drink mm. so but but monkeys you use the monkeys to get to the darkers mm. wow okay uh, well, I absolutely love that, and I think that was the fifth tiny ten species we've taken together. We've got uh, Steenbuck, yeah, uh, Valreedbuck, yeah, Clippy, uh, Clipspringer, yeah, which was very cool. Yeah, uh, blue diker, blue diker, and a missing one. Did I say I said Val? Oh, dike, uh, common dike, common dike. Yeah, yeah so, so that's our five. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we need an Oribe still down here, and we need a Cape Grassbuck. Yeah. And that is seven of the ten we can do over here. Now, that is what we call the modern tiny tin. Uh, to correct that, the original proper tiny tin, there are two grayspuck in there. It's the Cape grayspuck and the Sharps grayspuck. But people have found that those are so similar to one another. They added the Valreedbuck to add a different dimension to the hunting. So, right. if you was, you know, if if you were strictly speaking tiny tin, the Valreedbuck would not be counted. But most people have accepted it that it's something more interesting than going for another grayspuck, mm-hmm. basically. So, so so for what we do. Uh, seven out of ten can be achieved here. So you and I have two to go here. And then the others will be the Red Diker, the Sunni, and the Dictic, mm. which I know your wife, Erin, thinks is very cool, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Yeah. I don't know if it's the name or what, but uh, yeah. yeah. Um, she even she was like, yeah, you can get one of those there. I was like, yes, you can. in Another Af- country. <laughs> yeah, right, in yeah. South Africa, but not where we are. Yeah. Um, okay, so we got the Diker, and that was, I mean, that hunt was was action-packed and didn't take that long, to be honest. No, it didn't. You know, our areas are, are very well managed in the sense that large quotas, small off-take, and the guys like Rob, the character we hunted with there, 
a guy like him, that's his life. You know, he knows those forests well. Those dogs know the forest well. And so do the beaters, you know, the men who go along. And so they, they pretty much have a good idea of, of what region to look at. And, you know, if you're lucky, it goes like we had it. We were on the second or third beat, so we yeah. were very lucky. Uh, but trust me, I've had two, three days without a blue doctor. Really? And it did help the cause that you were actually able to connect. You know, the, um, the, the previous day we actually rolled stones for you on the range, which yeah. was actually fun as observers because we were trying to trick you. So all of us on this end, we had big, large boulders, and we were rolling them across at various angles, and Cable didn't know where they were coming from, and he had to shoot them as like running targets. And uh, yeah, so we, I, I knew then that you knew what you were doing with a shotgun, and it proved itself the next day. You know, your eye yeah. was in, and it was bang, bang. And it was fun. great to get the safari off and running. And we were off to the ocean for lunch. I think you haven't experienced yeah, before. Yeah. We got to see the beach, which is yeah. uh, a little cold to get in the water. But uh, but that's a place where you go on vacation. Yeah, um, we fish there. That's yeah. our fishing tour every year after the hunting season. We go fishing there. And old Roy Boy and myself, Craig, we have a good time. Try and catch a few fish, have a, cold, a few cold beers, and kick back and enjoy the sun. Yeah, it was beautiful. And you, what do you, grunter is the fish you're trying to Spotted get. grunter and cob. Those are the ones. And, and, and our cob is very similar to your snook in uh -huh. the U.S. I've, I've caught some of those before. They're very similar in style. And then our spotted grunter, I don't know, you know, I would say it's like a miniature Jack Trevelli, a okay. little, little one. Yeah. So they, 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 little, they, a big, big one is maybe 10 pounds, but they are strong fighters. Very, yeah, like very a Jack strong. Trevelli, yeah. Yeah. Snook, uh, Aaron and I went to Florida for to, to to catch yeah to go for Snook for my fortieth birthday. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, she caught like a forty-four inch one that is now there's. A I think that's on the, the one wall. I saw yeah. Josh and them. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Josh and them brought it to your house after yeah. mounting, and am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, I saw it. It was my one. birthday. I was supposed to catch the big one. Totally not bitter at all. <laughs> um, no, I couldn't have been happier for her. Well, let's take a quick break, Carl. Um, when we come back, we'll have left the warmer temperatures in the jungle. The Blue Diker calls home behind, and we'll head north into the mountains for Big Bull Kudu. That segment brought to you by the Mossberg Patriot. It's the rifle lineup that is ruggedly and reliably American-built. And they offer everything from a 22-250 up to a 375 Ruger. I took uh, the 300 Win Mag on this most recent safari. All of the barrels are now threaded for suppressors. It's the Patriot. You can find it at Mossberg.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm stuck at 303 with my hands beneath my feet. Put your money where your mouth is long as I can get what she's been I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW? Then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. 
In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Little Turnpike Troubadours for you. Uh, we are still visiting with my good friend and professional hunter Carl Van Sale of John X Safaris, and we'll get back into that conversation in just a second. This segment, though, brought to you by Stealth Cam and the DS4K wireless trail camera. I actually left one of these bad boys with John X. Uh, Patrick runs their trail cameras. And he was so pumped to get a new one. Uh, of course, I made him give me the SD cards after he uh, put them out for the week. Got a funny video of a rutted up, uh, love struck water buck trying to have his way with a cow. And uh, she was having none of it. Uh, but yeah, thanks to Patrick for putting the stealth cams out. And uh, you can find the stealth cam DS4K right there at stealthcam.com. With that being said, Let's head north for big kudu bulls. This is the one species that every time I go to South Africa, it's on the list. And whether Carl and I get one or not, we're trying to make a point to hunt kudu every time. Uh, I'd taken two beautiful bulls with him on previous safaris, including maybe the most memorable hunt of all, the first kudu I shot. And when you put your hands on a five or 600-pound bull with these beautiful spiral horns and just stunning cape, for the first time. I mean, you just fall in love with the species. That's what happened to me. And that's how I ended up back in the mountains with Carl once again. But Carl, one of my favorite things about the East Cape is the diverse habitat and species that you can hunt in one region. The East Cape is its own province. I think there's nine provinces in South Africa. Uh, but, you know, from the coast to the mountains to the savanna, and everything in between. And we experienced a new camp. Well, it, it was new to me anyway. I think you've had it for a season. Uh, but this was some place that I had not been. And, and we do do a lot of traveling when we're on safari. We don't stay in the same place for the entire trip. Yeah, so um, we, we added a, a, a new feather to our cap and a wonderful area, um, very savannah-like, very much what I think most folks envisage when traveling to Africa. Probably not as mountainous as it is. You know, they don't envisage that. They envisage savannah, rolling plains. So with, mountains with savannah. Correct, covering. The, yeah, yeah. yeah, precisely. And our friends with us on the safari, both Ryan and Daniel, were going like uh, they had the rubber, the green, and you and I could not find ourselves the opportunity to connect, yet we were seeing a lot of kurubuls. We mm -hmm. were seeing good waterbuck. We were seeing a lot of good animals. So so I, I had a lot of faith in the area, Cable, but man, I tell you, it was like when I thought we would be in the right place, the bull would turn and be the other way. And it was a little bit like that for cat and mouse for two days. Mm -hmm. And... and and, 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 and the part I enjoyed about those two days, even though we worked really hard without much success, we always felt like we were in the game. Always one of us was, was seeing something. If it wasn't you, it was me. If it wasn't one of us, it was Aiden, the cameraman. Yeah. Or it was David, our tracker. Um, or Malachi, our hand from the farm there that helped us. And 
all that stuff there is free range and it was a unique experience to for me as well i've not hunted that particular property from that area for about six years and going and, and hunting it was 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 for me nice to see what's on the ground what's happening there and we saw a lot of good guru and we were lucky to finally connect the morning of day three of guru hunting which is probably the hardest we've toiled and worked for Kuru. oh i would agree yeah 100 yeah. uh, percent. as far as far as not having success at the end of the Correct. day the animal on the ground right 100 percent. we got our butts kicked 100 percent. but we you know i would say we both days we walked ourselves finished and uh, to finally then connect yes it was such a sweet moment you know yeah. and to see that bull step out and i, I ask you cable have you got him he said i got him and i just gave it a yay mm-hmm. across the valley and he turned and i mean you hit him just perfect uh and you made the most fantastic second shot as well, which, you know, in Africa and, and when we do guide and when we do hunt together, our, our our theory and our desire is always if a bullet's in, we put another bullet in as often as we can to make sure we get, you know, we get the animal on the ground the fastest, most humane way possible. And at that stage, you actually don't know that you've hit it that well. And your first shot was very good, um, but the second shot just anchored him and, and we were able to, you know, walk up and really admire and enjoy a beautiful goodie. And I think it's one of the prettier bulls you and I have had together. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, and the other thing you think about is people travel across the world to hunt these animals. Yeah. I, I don't think you guys lose many animals because of the dogs. Yeah, we're lucky with that, yeah. yeah. But, you, but, you know, like, assurance is always when they're on the ground. Right. Bottom line. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So from there, we uh, Daniel, one of the guys that came on safari with me, um, he has a fancy for wing shooting, yes. and we had planned a day of hunting a gray wing partridge yes. in the mountains, and he was like, oh, shoot, that sounds like fun to me. He actually has a couple uh, pointing dogs back home in Texas, so he was uh, very intrigued. So yeah, and it was wonderful having Daniel along. Yeah. He's a hell of a shot, Cable, mm-hmm. and so are you. I was so impressed with both of your guys' shooting skills. Because grey wing, um, oh, they 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 wonderful birds. They occur above five thousand feet. Uh, they in coveys of maybe five to fifteen is a big covey. We were very spoiled. The, the morning we entered, I think our one covey was over twenty birds. So that was a, an incredible covey to see that. We we'd shoot no more than a third of the covey at any given time, and basically it's 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 a long walk for for a day above five thousand feet. Um, and our dogs, one thing you may mention to me that I didn't realize necessarily, and when I thought about it, I, I realized what you were saying to me. My bird hunting in the U.S. has been dogs ranging no more than 50 to 60, 70 yards from me. Mm. These dogs are ranging as much as four, 500 yards from us. So if they were on point, that's where you have to go. And yeah. if it's uphill, we got to go. <laughs> yeah. And if it's downhill, we got to go. Yeah. You know, we got to honor the point. Um, but you guys stuck it out. You know, we did 12,000 steps that day, you know, when it was all said and done. So a good 10 kilometers under the belt there. Yeah. And um, we, we shot some incredible birds, enjoyed some beautiful scenery, and watched the Irish setters work, which I've never actually done. I've always used English pointers. Yeah, I can't even remember the last time I saw an Irish setter in the United States. Like, yeah. This is a, a traditionally a, you know, a breed that people have used, but I think it's kind of been phased out. Or, I don't know, it seems like more people are using GSPs or Britneys, certainly where I live in Texas anyway. So that was very cool. Beautiful dogs, very gentle, well mannered, uh, but man, they hunted their butts off. They, they did, and luckily we had a team of them because it was a long morning. It felt like it was yeah, we like had five of them. Yeah, five of them. So they, they, we were rotating them, and the Scots hosted us up there and, and did an incredible job. And then we, 
after a lovely bird shoot and enjoying the volleys up there, the Falrebuck, which is one of the ones Scabbles also hunted before, uh, we were then treated to a wonderful lunch yeah. on the on, on their veranda at their home and listening to their culture and their stories and their birds and their love of their dogs. And then it was back down to Woodlands. Our time in the north had come to an end, and, and we were back at it. Oh, one quick note, though. That yeah. Mr. Scott had 50 years of experience with Irish setters. Yeah. Uh, and he was very passionate about it. Oh, yeah. He, the, the, the litter in his eye, whenever he mm. told us about his dogs, it was pretty special. Yeah. It was very nice uh, seeing him and, and see his passion for it. Yeah, 50 years, though. It's crazy to think about, I guess, uh, but I'm now t- over 20 years invested in Chocolate Lab, so I guess we all have our passion when it comes to our dogs. Um, but being up there in the mountains with over-under shotguns, chasing wild coveys was... It was everything you could want as someone who's a, a wing shooting enthusiast. And that was on the heels of taking our third kudu together. And I know, Carl, you've, you've said that kudu hunting is as good as it gets for you. But after that, our time in the mountains had come to an end, and it was time to head back south to the woodlands where we'd be hunting zebra. And, uh, and I think we'll work on a quick break here, come back, and get into this species and why it is or isn't as controversial to hunt as, say, a giraffe. That segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy with locations in Marion and San Antonio, Texas. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of me for over a decade. They'll do the same for you, whether that's a, a whitetail shoulder mount, your son's first buck, uh, a trout from the coast, or an entire African safari. They do amazing work, and you can find them at gr8mounts.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Cable here for Secure at Gun Storage, the gun storage system that caters to your specific needs. Lightweight safes that allow you to customize the interior to fit your firearm collection. I would know, I've got four of them in my house. It's decentralized storage that keeps me organized and never more than arm's length away from a firearm. The storage system keeps my guns and optics from ever touching or rubbing against each other as well. To check out their full lineup of safes and storage systems, just head over to secureitgunstorage.com. And you can thank me later. I'll be gone, but when it's done. I'm all alone on my midnight run I'm taking me a midnight run I'm making another one A thousand miles or more I'll drive To where I lived when I thought Midnight I Run, the name of that one from Charlie Crockett bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith, riding shotgun with you as always. Uh, We've still got my friend and professional hunter Carl Van Sale of John X Safaris here. We'll get back into that conversation regarding our recent safari in just a second. This segment, though, is brought to you by Vortex Optics. And here, I'm 
I'm so excited about this because the all-new Triumph HD 10x42 binos come in at a price tag of $99. It's just what you need for Father's Day too, ladies, so keep that in mind. Uh, stop by your local Vortex dealer or you can head over to eurooptic.com and enter the code LONESTAR10 to save 10% off the new Triumph HD binos today. Um, okay, well... Let's talk zebras because there's a lot of, I think, preconceived ideas that don't hold water. And here's a perfect example. I got back from uh, Africa late this week and uh, actually I slept pretty well on the plane, surprisingly. Uh, but I headed to the gym. Hadn't really, we did a lot of walking in, in Africa, that's for sure, but hadn't worked out in 10 days, 11 days. And so spent a little time with the kids, you know, gave Aaron a kiss, maybe two. Uh, and then said, I got to go to the gym. And plus, we ate like kings in Africa. I probably gained a few pounds. Uh, so hit the gym, and the, and the manager, my friend uh, Micah, he is a big hunter, loves bow hunting. We talk hunting every time that we see each other uh, at the at the gym, and he comes up, and he's like, he, I guess he'd been following the hunt on social media, and he's like, a zebra man? Come on, dude. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, I said, well, why do you have this preconceived notion that a zebra is any different than a whitetail or a mallard or a springbuck or an impala. He's like, I don't know. I, I really can't answer that. I said, you feel the same way about a giraffe, I bet. And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, isn't it our job as sportsmen to sustainably manage every species, regardless of what coat or fur they have? He's like, yeah, you're right. It's just something like mentally. I just, I got to suss it out internally. And I said, well, you need to get on that because if you're on that side of the fence, then you're standing with the antis. And that's the biggest threat to us as a hunting community is ourselves. We know the antis are a lost cause, but if you as a sportsman devalue one species because it has stripes or spots, then you're on the wrong side of the fence when it comes to conservation. And I said, but you know, you're not alone. There are plenty of, of hunters who feel the same way. And that is a huge threat to our way of life. Uh, so it was a productive conversation. He knew. I mean, he 100% knew that his thought process was flawed. Uh, but and, and hopefully that discussion will, will lead to a bit more open-mindedness when it comes to sustainable use hunting on species like zebra or giraffe or leopard or whatever it is. So if you're struggling with that internally, it uh, might be time for a little self-reflection. Not saying you have to do it. You don't need to shoot a zebra. But uh, having a problem with another hunter doing it, eh, might need to look in the mirror. With that being said, let's pick it back up with Carl Van Sale. Uh, we had just finished up a three-day trip north into the mountains, had uh, toiled with a kudu, and then had a very sporty day of gray-winged partridge wing shooting in the Winterberg Range. Uh, and now we're headed back south towards the woodlands. And, and, and then we came back that afternoon and, and we were onto a zebra cable. Yeah, that was uh, that was the second well, zebra that yeah. I've hunted with you. But one of my best friends from high school, his wife wanted the yeah. first one I shot, so I gave her you know the cape, and she actually had it shoulder mounted. And that's cool. Put in the, and she, they don't even hunt, Carl. This is like we want this for decoration. So, well, that's good. Sustainability, right. man. So Sustainable utilization yeah. protects the resource. But now Cable wants one for his office, so yeah. he's got a nice rug and uh, shot. Very nice. I think it was a mare. Yes, a big mare. So we often do take mares, Gable, because uh, if you look at the ratio of any uh, group of zebra 
only one stallion with the group. And the dynamics in the zebra family is actually quite interesting in the, in the fact that the mare, the head mare decides if a stallion uh, can mate or not within that group. And so what you find is when there's a good dynamic in the family situation, it's better to take a mare than a stallion just because the stallion's been accepted and he will breed. Mm. Um, so we actually do like to take about a 50-50 ratio of stallions to mares. And interestingly, mares usually carry the better rugs. Mm. Stallions fight, bite, and kick. Mares do not. They mm. are ladies and they are, they are better <laughs> mannered and they have better hides. So that's quite interesting where guys think, well, they want a stallion because that is the big buck bull syndrome we grow up with. Right. But in zebra world, um, it's maybe not always the one you want. Uh -huh. And this is a virtual zebra. You have, how many species are there in Africa? There are the Hartmans, mountain zebra, yeah. which occur in Namibia and northern South Africa and yeah, in parts of the Eastern Cape and the northern parts. We have the Cape mountain zebra, which only occurs here down the southern tip of Africa, the Western Cape and the Eastern Cape. And then um, the virtual zebra. So those are the, the zebra in Southern Africa. But the further north you go, you get the gravies, you get the salu, um, you get the East African. So there's quite a few zebra. There's the boom uh, zebra as well. So there's quite a few um, as you go north. And so, so, it's, so for us, the, the three options we have here, they are the biggest of the, of the zebra. Mm -hmm. But we also have the Cape Mountain, which is the smallest of the zebra. So you and I have hunted giraffe together, and if anyone hasn't seen that YouTube, I encourage them to check it out. It's on the John X channel. Um, but, you know, we, we told the story of why someone would hunt the giraffe. Yeah. Do you get that much blowback from a zebra because people are like, why would you shoot a striped horse? You know, like. You know, Cable, I would say the horse lovers, mm. they sometimes is a kickback on that. But I don't find it as emotionally driven, and the rhetoric is not quite as heated as it comes to a giraffe. Mm. Uh, I think the truth be told is that you, anybody who's been to Africa and had the privilege of hunting Africa, you will know that zebra are on every safari and you will see them every day. Yeah. So it's a bit like giraffe. You will see them every day as well, mm -hmm. most of the time. So um, people seem to be more at peace with zebra. It's more acceptable. Mm. Uh, but yeah, there, there is that group of people, even within the hunting community, that just doesn't want to hunt zebra. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with Elon. Is that group in the hunting community that says, you know, it looks like a Brahmin bull. Unless you've seen a proper Elan bull, it's not a Brahmin bull. Right. You know? Uh, but, you know, each one to their own. If those who's, who feel it looks like a Brahmin bull, please don't hunt it. They take very long to mature, and we are very proud of our quality of Elan. And, and for us, the less people want to hunt them, the better for the guys who do want to hunt them because they mm. only get older and better. How about zebra's table fare? And I've eaten it couple times. Uh, the first time I ever ate it was in Texas at some ranch. Somebody you shot me there. And I was like, wow, I, this is so good. And, and while I was in the U.S. in January, actually, Cable, I read the most interesting report mm. about the demand for zebra meat throughout the United States now because it's such a healthy meat. Yeah. Um, in Africa, still, I would say that the, it's not the most popular. And it's not due to any other fact or reason but the fact that we have so many, many options. So people still want to find a grain meat. You're still going to see guys still angling towards your mountain reed buck, your spring buck, your wildebeest, your elan. Those are the you know top top meats. Um, with elan probably being the number one. Uh, the zebra gets had, a um, negative rap because of the yellow elan fat. Elan backstrap last night, which was that oof. was very good. Yeah, very good. Uh, but the zebra basically gets a bad rap for the yellow fat. Mm -hmm. And 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 if you think now. The way the article I read in the U.S., which was very interesting, they basically 
they're putting it in the same bracket as ostrich. Hmm. And the ostrich craze has also obviously come and gone in the US, but at the time, the Heart Foundation recommended that. So mm-hmm. it's, again, yellow fat animal, very popular for the health guys. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. yeah, so I wouldn't say our industry here is focusing on zebra meat, but uh, there's most certainly a bunch of ailment, and it, every last scrap, it all gets utilized. And, you know, these people are like, well, it's a striped horse, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't see people riding around on them, and it seems like mankind has you probably cannot. tried to domesticate you, you, them you, you for cannot. centuries. You actually cannot, Gable. Um, interestingly, they have tried. Uh, and zebra have the way their spine drops in their back. You cannot put a saddle on them. No weight on a zebra's back. Huh. So the only thing you can do with a, with a zebra, and it has been done, you can put them in a cart. They can pull. They cannot take the weight on their back. Okay. So they have been tamed. There, there are records of that where they were able to get them into a like a team to pull a cart or a wagon, uh, but uh, not very successful because they are unruly. They kick and bite and never quit fighting. And not quite like a horse or yeah. a mule or a donkey. <laughs> um, so after the zebra hunt, we tried to stock uh, warthog. No, actually, we went bird hunting again. We went bird hunting. Yeah. Donnie. Donnie yeah. did an incredible job for yeah. us. You know, you had said to me, I want to shoot some birds. And I said, Cable, like I tell everybody coming on safari, yeah, our grey wing is world loss. The rest of our birds, it's not like South America. It's not like parts of North America. If you just want to have a little casual shoot, you can. We do not have the numbers in our region like we have in the central part of South Africa. So it's not something we focus on. But you said, man, Carl, I'd like to try. Yeah. And and we had a lovely shoot. Donnie put in good effort and we had a blind and we had birds coming in. and Yeah, hunting over a water hole. Yeah. And we shot, we all call them Rockies. Yeah, rock pigeons, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which they're about the size of our pigeons, but they're a lot prettier. They're all the same color, not like the dirty city rats that we have back then. Yes, no. Your eyes got those speckles on the wings and under yeah. the belly, obviously. So we got, I don't know, a dozen, 15 of those, and then we shot six geese. Yeah, the Japanese, yeah. Egyptian geese, yeah. yeah. And you guys did beautifully on those. I was well impressed. Once again, Daniel joined us, mm-hmm. being a bird enthusiast, and you guys laid them out. You know, we were there for an hour and a half, and... You guys made the most of it with the setting sun and sable on the skyline. Yeah. Um, can you even get steel shot in South Africa? Is that, is that even a thing? Yeah. It is. It's, yeah, yeah. But it's, you can shoot them with whatever, huh? You know, Cable, truth be told, we, we our laws are catching up, very similar to what the U.S. laws are. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, the regulation thereof is, is not what it is in the U.S. So we, we, we do most certainly try and follow, you know, your your guidelines that you guys have in the U.S. And, and, and I think as time goes, things have improved for us as well. Um, but it's not – I wouldn't say our bird industry is there where enough people hunt birds for it to be a factor, mm-hmm. if I could say that to you. I mean, it, well, yeah, because your limit of Egyptian geese is like eight per person or something. Yeah. Our geese, like, you can shoot three for most of them, you know. Yeah. Like, um, well, for the Canada, Canadian geese in any way. And I – out of all my friends, South African friends, I maybe know two guys who better. Really? Two guys. <laughs> so the, the culture It's just not there. a culture. You don't, like, if I invite people for a bird hunt, they don't even know what it's about. Huh. I mean, literally poor shotgunners, the majority of them. And I'm not saying, this is very a big generalization, but it's not part of our culture because why? Once again, our choice is so vast to hunt game. Yeah. We all grow up dreaming about hunting a nice big kudu, dreaming about a big springbuck. We want to hunt a valley in the mountains. So those are... The things that drive us as kids, mm. you don't see us bird hunting because we do get a lot of gun time. 
Mm-hmm. Where I think in North America, with your guys' tag system and your limit, limited resource in opportunities, not that, you know, there's plenty of whitetail, there's plenty of mule deer, et cetera, in the U.S., but they do limit you guys. I mean, you guys have to really, I mean, for us, your oh. draw system, I mean, yeah. it, we can't fathom it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to elk hunt this year. Well, there you go. Yeah, where, how can I get a tag? Or go over the counter in Colorado or maybe get a landowner tag somewhere else. But then you're, you you travel, um, you drive for you know, 12, 14 hours, and you get there and you have one tag for one species. Whereas here, I don't know how many species you can hunt on the Eastern Cape, but it's in the 20s. Maybe. Yeah. You know, we, we actually had this discussion at dinner last night. It was interesting. We said, in North America, you want to hunt an, a number of species. Let's say a handful of species. You're going to fly a plane properly. Mm-hmm. You're going to be traveling. Uh, yeah. yeah, a land cruiser can take you there within three hours. Mm-hmm. And you can have just over 30 species available to you that you can start hunting at any given moment. Yeah. Uh, so no, no tag system yet. Very strict hunting license, which you always take out and a register system we keep quotas it balances with our fishing game which we call match conservation that's not fishing game here we call it match conservation and together we we run a strict protocol on sustainable quotas and basically like you saw for your blue diker we we have to do a special permit for that because that falls in a different category mm. so our species fall into various categories and very well regulated in that sense that um, privatization once again equals sustainability well, there's no doubt. And in a place like South Africa, all the land is private, save for the big national parks that are void of hunting opportunity. Uh, back home, we do have a, a public lands resource, but when it comes to private hunting preserves or ranches, they are unequivocally more well-managed than any public land resource could be uh, when you're talking about hunting anyway. Uh, so, and, I, and I'm not advocating for privatizing any more land in the United States at all. Y'all know I love my public lands. Uh, but you can't say that uh, Unit 45 in New Mexico is as well managed as a 50,000-acre hunting operation. It, it just isn't. And uh, the, the federal government doesn't have the money to manage it accordingly. So just keep that in mind because uh, the woodlands, you know, some 25-odd years ago was all sheep, goats, and cattle. Uh, now there isn't any livestock at all on the property. It's strictly managed only for the benefit of wildlife uh, through sustainable use hunting. That segment of the show brought to you by Numa Outdoors and the Pathfinder Pant. It's what I wore every day while on safari from South Africa to South Texas and everywhere in between. It is rugged, comfortable, and protects you from all those things that want to cut you, scratch you, and even bite you. It's the Pathfinder Pant. You can find it at numaoutdoors.com. Coming up next, we'll hunt a rutted up, stinky old waterbuck bull on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Selling guitars on the West Coast, going hungry, chasing ghosts around and around. Time to tell you about Protect Products. Veteran owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, energy formula for when you need an extra kick, immunity for optimizing the immune system, and one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback, and the cool thing is they don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, 
Head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and more has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off of Virginia Parkway in McKinney. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. That's the latest from a boy named Banjo, Heart in Motion. Love that tune. Uh, thank you so much for being here today for the uh, 2023 African Safari Recap Show with my friend Carl Van Sale of John X Safaris. We're going to wrap it up here with a little bow hunting fail and uh, a water buck success story. But uh, before we do that, this segment brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants and my friends over at Armasite. If you haven't yet, check out the 640 Contractor. It is the latest in their lineup of thermal optics. I just put mine on an uh, AR-15, and let me tell you, it's bad news for piggies. <laughs> yes, indeed. From a diverse color palette, uh, internal recording, and here's the cool thing. I've played with a lot of thermal scopes over the years, but the interface, the controls, the most user-friendly setup that I have found. It's the 640 Contractor, and you can find it at armasite.com. All right, um, let's go ahead and jump back into it with Carl Van Sale of John X Safaris. Oh, yeah. So this place is 30,000 acres, roughly, the woodlands, and... You've had it for seven, six years. Six six or seven years. This is number seven year old. Okay. Yeah. Before it became, a, what, do you, what do you want to call it? A game preserve? Yeah, or? game ranch, whatever you want to call it. I'm sure it was sheep and goats. It was 100%. And if you look, Gable, sometimes when we're traveling and you see some of the bacon trees, the speckworm, you will see that canopy. Like they really got that traditional Africa umbrella shape look about them. Those are the old ones. Those are the ones that were bonsai'd by the goats. So as tall as a goat could stand on his back feet or lean against the stem of the tree, they would eat it. And that's where they would stunt it. So the tree could only go up, but the bottom underneath that, that bush had nothing. Mm. And that's the dead giveaway there were goats here. And now we are year 24 of no goats. And now people are, um, I've got psychologists coming in, they're looking and studying my vegetation types, my biomes, and telling me what my sustainable carrying capacities and things like that is. And the scientists that are coming here are very impressed with what they see. So we know we're on the right track. Some of our grasses that were gone are coming back. So we're well, really, really happy about that. It's pouring right now. So you've it's, had, for May, you told me your average rainfall is 40. 40 mils was, well, not the average, that's the best we've had before. Oh, wow. Yeah, the very best. So now we are over 100 already. And we are the 29th of May, and it's still raining. So this is incredible. Think about it. We we get 400 and about 465 millimeters a year, 
and the month of May gives us north of 100. That is incredible. So we are in for a wonderful season after the winter going to the spring when the growing season starts again. But yeah, where we are, we actually don't have uh, any uh, frost. Mm. So we will grow still. Yeah. So, so it, it, will, it will keep a green tinge throughout, which will be a, a, a privilege this winter. It's not something I'll experience often in my life. Right. Oh, and I've been here when it's been dry. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, we also did a little bow hunting. I think the toiling with the kudu for three days limited tough time. the amount of bow hunting we actually could do. So we stalked a couple of pigs and water buck. Yes. And actually flew flung an arrow at a at a nice warthog, but shot right over his back. He kind of ducked, but he I'll, ducked. Yeah, he I rushed ducked. the shot too, so no excuse there. But, but it was nice getting that close. It was good mm-hmm. fun getting that close. Um, and the waterbuck, I felt we did very well. Just gave we to get that close to the waterbuck bull. And if he could have just caught it for us, I know you would have put an arrow into him. You were in a good place, and he just sensed something yeah, was 50 up. Yards. Oh. Yeah, and he, he was just looking away. We just never had anything except that big old toilet seat on the button. We, I mean, we couldn't even draw on him, really, truth be told. And mm-hmm. finally, I did tell you when I realized he knew something was up. I said, just draw, because they are not notoriously uh, string, string jumpers at all. So I felt that, oh, we got a chance here, Cable. Just draw and let's see, maybe he turns and gives us a shot and let's see the arrow fly. But alas, he did not. And <laughs> off we went. Big hunting. Carl, do you have a lot of bow hunters coming to camp? You know, Cable, more and more. It's growing. Uh, I would say combination bow hunters. Mm. Uh, I think most guys realize coming to Africa is a quite a bit of time off from work. Uh, it does affect your schedule, your family time, unless you bring them along, which which is uh, we welcome that and we have the most wonderful junior hunter program as well where any one-on-one hunter can bring a junior hunter under the age of 18 a time of safari absolutely free of charge no day fee so our theory has always been if you're willing to buy the flight we'll give the day fee mm-hmm. and and get them hunting and get them dreaming and and loving africa um so yeah uh, bow hunting is growing but due to the fact that you have limited time in africa guys are doing it in combination so they they're willing to stalk and put in time on certain species that are more susceptible to bow hunting and then uh also combining that with rifle hunting in saying that we do have a bunch of guys that only bow hunt every year Uh, i know our good back josh he does and hunts with martin and on our team i would say martin and dave are our top top bow guides they are by far the superior guys when it comes to bow hunting and, and that's what they love, eat, and sleep, you know. Uh, I've always said to you, I've been quite honest, I never grew up with a bow in my hand, and so it's not first nature for me to be even in bow lingo. You know, I, 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 I can stalk, I'll get you close, but I'm probably not telling you all the right things. I'll give you yardage <laughs> and off you go. And, and oh, just, when I told you I had the, brought the bow, you were like, oh, gosh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought maybe the dog's going to have a busy week. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? Well, so we didn't get anything with the bow, but... We really put in like one day of of, of messing around with it, and then no, not even a full day. Okay. And but we, but man, we got so close on that water buck today. This we're, we're taping on the last day of our safari, and it's raining. And it was and it rained last night. Heavy, yeah. heavy rains. Yeah. Um. So we did mess around with the bow this morning, but these water buck were just very keen, very wide awake, is what you. Yeah, I don't know why we were a long way away from the first group of and these stocks, Carl. These are not. I mean, yeah, these stocks are long. Like you're they putting in an hour, two hours just to try to get into position. Correct. And when it doesn't work out, it's like take your hat off you and just throw it on the ground. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I told you the other day. I said, "Man, I can be your best and your worst because 
I emotionally invest in it and so do all the guides and mm-hmm. sometimes you do get frustrated and you feel that frustration as a team and when you're frustrated I feel for you and when I'm frustrated I can see you feel for me on it and we're all like in it together but we get over the line but this morning yes it, it just felt to me that every water buck had my number and no matter what I did I was like just in the wrong place and the wind would turn or something would go and finally I just told you I said okay well this is like a shitty morning excuse the French I'm sorry <laughs> listeners but I was like this is not the kind of morning I do yeah and finally I said let's just get around and we got around onto some cliffs that I know and saw a herd of buffalo we were walking down and the next moment the good old bow I mean deer hunter came out in cable because all I heard was buck 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 yes a buck yes a buck <laughs> and I'm going buck buck we got we don't have fellow deer yet we we refer to them as uh bulls and then Rams. Rams. Here, yeah. Yeah, we don't have bucks. Yeah. So. so when you went back, 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 I didn't know what, but I realized when I saw your eyes, they were as big as sources. I knew you'd seen what we were after. Yeah. And I immediately jumped into action and you took position and we waited. Three Elan came out, a whole herd of Impala came out, and finally he came walking out. We could just see his horns. And uh, you had to wait patiently 10, 15 minutes. Finally, he kind of fed out, and as he was about to head down a path out of our sight, I gave a yelp across the valley, which I do sometimes. And um, Gabriel, your angle was tight, but let me tell you, you pumped him. Sweet spot. Uh, he took off at a pace down the hill into the forest, and then. So, I mean, so thick we couldn't see where he went. Yeah, you know, the anxiety set in. Yeah. yeah. So we sent David. David went and fished uh, Flash and our new dog uh, Boots which at this stage, Boots is the green horn. I don't know if Boots knows what his role is yet. We're giving it our best shot. And uh, David walked onto the track, immediately found the track, the dogs took off, and the waterbuck was stone dead to our relief yeah. and our uh, ex- absolute excitement as well. We were so happy to get the news over the radio. And I felt great. I mean, I was laying prone, 250 yards. Yeah. But still, it's a big you animal. lose it into the forest that's that thick, it's like, oh. Yeah. So, yeah, the dogs made quick work of it. I think it went 40, 50 yards. Yeah, and, and hadn't it been down, it wouldn't even gone that far, you know. Yeah. 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 Uh, and that was a species that, that we had not hunted before. Yeah, we've seen a lot. I mean, oh, every trip. Every trip you see them and you identify them very quick. You say to me, yeah, there's a waterbuck, there's a kudu, there's this, there's that, and we've seen tons of them. Uh, but, yeah, I'm glad we connected with a great old bull. He's heavy as heck. He's worn down part of his tips already. Uh, we actually tried to pursue the other waterbuck with a bow. Actually, had a broken tip because they are such aggressive fighters. They do break them. Mm. Um, so yeah, very happy. He's got nice, heavy, what we call perspex colored horns. That means he's of an age where his horns have turned color. They're not that black, dull color anymore. Um, so yeah, very, very happy with him. And I couldn't believe how big those animals were. They grow on you, yeah, a bit yeah, like I've a roan. I see mounts here. My buddies have shot them. Yeah, but when you actually get up. You see how massive the body of a of a big bull waterbuck is. It's He'll be heavier than a kudu. Kudu is lankier but taller, but a waterbuck's more well set between the shoulders. So he actually weighs more on the scale than you realize. Yeah. And this animal is unique in the sense that most of your antelope species don't smell. But these stink. Like yeah. This ruddy old bull remind me, reminds me of like, you know. Yeah, he's musky. Elk would smell yeah. Like he's musky. musky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He is. An, and they're very oily. Yeah. And it's and it's and, and they have hollow hair, very much like some of your your most of our game does not have hollow hair. This yeah. waterbuck does have hollow hair. And now with a rat being on, they actually urinate all over themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and and that kind of 
increases the 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 scent, you know, for other bulls. And and I, like I said to you, they fight like you cannot imagine. You often see a waterbuck bull chasing another bull over the mountain into the next valley. I mean, they are relentless in pursuit. Mm. As far as the uh, the oil goes on their their hair, yes. Um, to me, you say waterbuck, and you you, you would think that this I, animal yeah. gravitates to or lives around water. Yes. No, these things are everywhere, everywhere. all over. So all over, yeah. I'm thinking like they messed up. They should have named a lechway the waterbuck. Exactly. And the waterbuck should have got some other name. Yeah, other name. I agree with you. But <laughs> stinkbuck or something. But but part of the oiliness is to do with the the you know the the their lack of water and living around water too. But you are right. They do occur in the high country where there's absolutely limited water sources. Yeah. Uh, but they also love the river system. So a bit of this, a bit of that. But um, a, a a unique one for us and, and most certainly one of the most common ones you will see. They've done so well through privatization and sustainable utilization that that'll be one of your most commonly spotted animals on safari. Yeah. Um, well, Carl, it's been... It's been awesome, as always. Yeah, no, thank you, Cable. And I think, uh, I know that the other the other guys that were here, I, I remember I go back to my first trip, yeah. and you're wide-eyed, and everything's new and exciting, um, and I see that in them, and, it, you know, it's yeah. nice to, well, it's, not that every trip isn't new and exciting, everything's, it's, everyone has been its own unique adventure, but. But you know what to expect. The first day on safari, oh. you look at these guys, and it's like, you remember that? Oh, yeah. And it's so nice. I look at a guy like Ryan, who's here with us at the moment. And Ryan came up to me last night and said, I'd like some dates for next year. Yeah. <laughs> and that's very rewarding, you know, for Martin ESPH, his tracker, Elliot, my team in the lodge, my entire team, our teams throughout all our camps to have somebody, uh, you know, pay a compliment like that. So basically, mm. he's not even done and he's fixing for the new date. And that's pretty nice. Well, you know? pr- probably like about the same time Daniel walked up to me and he's like, I know your trip for next year is full, but if anyone backs out, you know, I'll take the spot. Yeah. So. Which is wonderful, wonderful. We we so appreciate the support, and it makes all this possible, Cable. It makes the 30,000, it makes the rest of the 3 million acres we have access to viable. Um, hunters like yourself and the gentlemen who join you and the lovely ladies who join us, you know, they are the reason why these areas exist and remain wild for generations to come. And I would like to say that we do have a 2025 date book. So, we do. And I don't. I don't have it in front of me. I don't have my phone. It is in June. Yeah. This June. It starts mid-June. I actually can tell you it starts the 12th of June to the 20th. Yeah. Yeah. That's 2025. 2025. Yeah. If anybody listening wants to uh, be a part of that trip, shoot me an email. Join us. It's summer. I think it's summer break in the U.S. Yeah. Bring your boy along. I'm thinking Henry might come on that trip. So then that will be a whole new experience once again. Yeah. Yeah. He's shot a couple bucks now. I think he's killed four big game animals. So. Three white tails and a uh, black buck and a javelina too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. He, so, he loves it. Um, oh, and he shot a turkey this year, Carl. Yeah. Oh, so so I told you he's, he's well on his way. Yeah. And you have a ten-year-old yeah. boy as well. Great they would deal. certainly hit it off. Yeah, no, they, the kids. It's important. We we got to keep this uh, passion alive. We got to share it with the next generation, and 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 it's important. Uh, the wildlife needs hunters. I think. People often think hunters need the wildlife. It's a combination. It takes two to tango, and it's very, very important that the top of the food chain also has a desire to be involved in hunting, and that's mm-hmm. a whole other debate and discussion. Well, I mean, we see it in the U.S. every day. Like, uh, people want to do away with hunting. Okay, well, then you give us the solution as how, you, how you're going to manage all this and fund it. Keep these wild places wild and these renewable resources 
thriving. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, Gable, no matter how much emotion they throw at it, the practicality just doesn't meet the emotion. Mm-mm. No, it doesn't, my friend. Well, Carl, enjoyed it as always, and uh, I'm looking already looking forward to next year. I don't know what we're going to hunt, but uh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Gable, as always, an absolute privilege and pleasure to have you, mate, and your friends, and to the listeners, and everybody who's interested in African hunting. Thank you very much, really, from all of us here in South Africa. Um, our team, uh, certainly, and the many teams in safari camps, sustaining wild areas, we can't do it without you. So thank you very much, and safe travels home, mate, and we'll see you in January, stateside, SCI. All right, all right Carl, thanks again. Uh, we'll see you in Nashville next January at SCI. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Hope you all enjoyed the uh, Africa 2023 recap it's become an annual thing for Carl and I, uh, but uh, always something new, something exciting on the dark continent. Uh, that segment of the show was brought to you by my friends over at Trigger Time Kennels in Bonham in Texas, Rusty and Ashley Hagelin, bred little JoJo and trained her as well, and she has become a duck hunting and dove hunting machine. Uh, if you're looking for a new retriever, you can find them, or if you've got a retriever that uh you would like to go through a gun dog program, I highly recommend them. And you can find Trigger Time Kennels on Facebook. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great weekend in the outdoors. So get this freaking anvil off my chest.